else. Okay, I have yet to master this taking off the mask. Well, the, it would help if I remembered that I had a mask on. I forgot I even had a mask. Hello, Woodland Hills. We're a professional operation here. Uh, real slick, is that on good now? Oh, here, I gotta find my ear. Okay, it's gonna come together. Uh, I don't usually preach from sitting down in a couch like this. It actually feels a little odd. I feel like I'm in a masterpiece theater. I should have a pipe here. I'm here to talk about very educated things, you say. Okay, my name is Greg Boyd. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, only called that because I'm the oldest one in the crowd. So I am the senior pastor. I've lived into that uh, title very well. Um, so we're, we're uh, uh, talking here about uh, law of love and, and how Jesus fulfills the law. And we're at the section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is going to set off and he's going to contrast his teachings, uh, this is the kingdom way of life, with uh, uh, things that people have already heard and things that they've read in Scripture. And we've seen here, well, I'll read the verse. I have my Bible here in my pocket somewhere. I actually brought my actual Bible uh, because I was going to read from it, so because I'm trying to counter the impression that the Bible is, a, is an app, uh, but I brought the wrong version. So to get the right version, I have to read from here. Nothing in my life is right, actually. You've heard it said in ancient times, starting with verse 21, Matthew 5. You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say unto you, now, just stop for a second. He, he, he said, you've heard from ancient times. People have always said this. Uh, you shall not murder. And then Jesus says, but I say unto you. And it raises the question once again, who does this guy think he is? <laughs> he's either off his rocker or he's the son of God. Against all that stuff you've heard in the, in, in, in the, in the past and on, in the tradition, here's what I say. If you're angry with your brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult your brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. Uh, and if you say to anyone, you fool, you shall be liable to the hell of fire. I spoke about what some of that meant last week. If you didn't hear the message last week, I encourage you to go in and, and, and check it out. So here's the thing. Jesus fulfills the law, not by meticulously adhering to every rule, but by fulfilling its intention. And its intention, according to Jesus, is all about love. That's why he says in Matthew 22 that, that the whole law, the prophets, it all hangs on this one teaching, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do that and everything else you need to do will get done. Don't, if you don't get that done, then there's nothing else worth getting done. Okay, so uh, Jesus lives out love and that's how he fulfills the law. And that's why he says that our righteousness is to exceed that of the Pharisees and Sadducees. See that in verse uh, 20. Uh, because their righteousness was focused on external behavioral things. Whereas in the kingdom, our focus is to be on the whole person. Uh, and the reason is this. We're called to love, to agree with God that every person that we ever come across is, has got unsurpassable worth. And love isn't just an external thing. To love another person, to live in love as Christ loved us, uh, is to love with the whole person, your mind, body, and soul. And so from God's perspective, and this is the thing that just blew me away last week, uh, our inner world is as important as our outer world. They're two sides of the same coin. And that's why he says, it's not enough just to abstain from murder. Don't feel righteous about that. Do you have the kind of attitudes that lead to murder? Uh, yeah, maybe you refrain from doing it for whatever reasons, but are you harboring that in your heart? And, and he, he says, because if, if you're even just insulting, if you have insult thinking going on towards another person, you're looking down on them. You see, you're violating their worth because you're not agreeing with God that they have unsurpassable worth as evidenced by the fact that Jesus died for them, paid an unsurpassable price for them. So that's an act of violence. You're violating their worth to even look down on them, to say, you fool, you idiot, insult thinking, um, or to harbor this, this anger towards them. And so Jesus says, take that, your inner world, as seriously as you take your outer world. Uh, get rid of everything that is inconsistent with the kingdom, with inconsistent with affirming the unsurpassable worth of another person. Get rid of it um, uh, to, to, to live out the kingdom, to live in love as Christ loved us and, and gave his life for us. And so our, our job is to purge from our life everything that is inconsistent with, with that love, affirming the unsurpassable worth of another person. Uh, we're, to, we're to purge from our life all insult thinking, that, that temptation just to say, you idiot, you fool, you moron, what on earth? All of that is, uh, Jesus says, inconsistent with, with uh, the, the kingdom. So we titled last week's message, Say Farewell to Anger, meaning that kind of anger that violates the worth of others, that looks down on others, that's, that slants others. And we're to take our, our, that as seriously as if it was murder. Now, when I do that, 
as I shared last week, it, it immediately just blows apart any kind of self-righteousness. Uh, when I really take seriously the idea that I have been, uh, in, in, in Jesus' terms, I've been a murderer and an adulterer through much of my life. Um, I can't look down on somebody who actually committed murder because I myself am a murderer. I can't look down on someone or feel superior to someone who committed adultery because I've had that in my mind uh, throughout my my life. And so it just robs me of any kind of self-righteousness. So you you can't look down on somebody if you are honest with uh, your own sinfulness. And that's where Paul says that we regard ourselves all as being the worst of sinners. We meet at the bottom, not at the top. And we meet at the bottom because that's where God meets us in order to love us to, to uh, all he knows we can be. So last week we entitled this uh, fair, Say Farewell to Anger. And the reason why I think it's so crucial uh, is that when I do that, when I, when I take that seriously with myself, that, that uh, get rid of all internal violence, um, man, I, it just all, all of a sudden you realize that, that, that in, here in America at least, we are swimming in a sea of of angry, self-righteous indignation. Uh, especially the last four years, we've all seen this. this is, anger has settled on our country. And, and folks have, you know, a lot of things are going on here, but we've let ourselves get siloed in our little echo chambers, having our beliefs reconfirmed and reconfirmed and never being confronted. So we get more and more rigid in our beliefs, and the result is we get thicker and thicker and more intense in our judgments of one another. And this is a country that's just being divided. According, uh, self-righteous indignation is just ripping this, this, this whole country apart. See, if you believe, it always feels like that, that, that uh, I'll put it like this. I, I think in the last four years, this kind of self-righteous indignation has become normalized. Uh, we get used to it. And um, yeah, and, and it's, if you believe that uh, your your righteous indignation is justified because, well, you're just speaking accurately. You say that they're morons because they are morons, right? And, and, and if you give yourself a pass on that, well, then you, what I have found is if I'm not vigilant at fighting that, I acclimate to it. And I think that's true of all of us. We acclimate to our environment, this kind of pollution that's all around us. And we ourselves get sucked into harboring these thoughts and these attitudes that are not consistent with agreeing with God that the person in front of you has got unsurpassable worth. And your most fundamental job as a disciple is to agree with God about that and to reflect that agreement by how you act towards them, by how you speak with them, how you speak about them, and even how you think about them. And any kind of insult thinking, any kind of looking down is absolutely prohibited for a follower of Jesus. Now here's the thing. That doesn't at all mean that, that we're less passionate about civic engagement, about confronting issues or anything of the sort. It just means that as kingdom people, we, 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 we're, we're to confront these things not from a position of superiority, but of but, 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 but with a sense of humility. We're to passionately engage these things, but not with any kind of hatred, but rather with a sense of love, not wanting to defeat the enemy, but, want, but rather wanting to be liberated with the enemy. Uh, we have a completely different mindset that we take uh, to uh, these, these uh, issues of, of, of civic engagement. We want to confront them passionately, but ha- do it without any violence in our behavior, in our attitudes, or in our words. So that was the message last week. We're going to purge all that. Now, here's the thing about Woodland Hills. We're kind of a mutt in some ways because we're a confluence of a lot of different uh, traditions, evangelical, charismatic, whatnot. But the main, the main uh, tradition that we identify with most strongly is the Anabaptist tradition. And one distinctive of the Anabaptist tradition that kind of sets it apart is that they've always had a belief in, even if they didn't practice it consistently, but they've always had a belief in team leadership. It shouldn't be a, a church shouldn't be a CEO kind of thing where everyone else carries out one person's will, but rather it's, there, there, there's a, 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 everything in the kingdom should be done out of relationship. And so as a, as a team, they've also had a conviction about what's sometimes called communal discernment. Um, that uh, uh, spiritual matters need to be discerned communally, and even biblical interpretation needs to be discerned communally and doing it relationally. Uh, there shouldn't be one person who is, you know, in charge of all interpretation and everyone else has to adhere to their way of seeing things. And the reason why the Anabaptists uh, hit on this distinctive, I mean, part of it is that it's modeled in the Bible, but also because it just, it's what humility requires. And humility is, of course, one of the chief characteristics that we're to all, always be cultivating. If, if we're humble and honest with ourselves, we have to all got to recognize that 
all of us see things from a particular perspective. We come at things from a different set of experiences and from a particular culture. And, and, and there's all these factors that feed into our particular way of seeing things. And our particular way of seeing things is a particular way of seeing things. It's not the only way of seeing things. And so if we're interested in truth and not simply in getting our, our own views reconfirmed, we need one another. We need to be talking about this. Uh, how, how do you see it? How do I see it? How does that person see it? Uh, it's like that old proverbial thing about the three blindfolded monkeys or whatever it is, feeling an elephant or however that goes. I don't know how. To, uh, but you know, we, we all have a partial truth and we need to hear from other people's perspectives. And so we really believe that here at Woodland Hills. One of the ways that that get, gets cashed out is that uh, uh, I have dialogues with people going into every sermon and dialogues with people coming out of every sermon. In fact, that's true for everyone who preaches here. Is how did it land with you? Uh, what needs to be tweaked? What needs to be augmented and whatever? Because if what we want to present is a whole gospel, a holistic gospel that applies to all people, uh, I wouldn't trust me to do that, one person to do that. We need to, I need to know how, if I'm doing the sermon, I need to know how other people are seeing things. Uh, and how, can, how, how could this word be interpreted this way? And how might this, this group of people hear this and, and whatnot? So we did that with last week's message. And um, so here's the thing. When I was going into that message, I'm coming at this from uh, my set of concerns is with this pollution in America, this, this, this self-righteous indignation and how the church has gotten sucked into this and how the last four years we've all been bombarded with this and, and this urgency of getting rid of it and, and being vigilant about it. I, I, that, that's where my set of concerns were. If you approach this issue of anger, putting off anger from, uh, with a different set of concerns, well, you have, you're, you're just going to have a different emphasis on things. Uh, if you're coming at this from a, a, a perspective of, of, of psychological health, mental health, uh, from a therapist's perspective, well, when you hear put off all anger, what you might be worried about is, is he just saying we should ignore it? Like just pretend like it's not there or just suppress it? No, you got to deal with this stuff. I mentioned a little bit last week about how anger can be a gift. It's a warning light on a dashboard that says something's wrong, so you got to investigate it. But that wasn't my focus at all. And so as we were processing this message, there's uh, some folks on our team uh, in, in our circle that, that thought, you, you gotta, we, we got to expand a lot more on that. Uh, others come at this from a social justice perspective, and they're saying, well, now, gee, if, 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 that's got to be nuanced. You got to qualify that. There's a lot more that needs to be said. So I suggested let's just bring the discussion up on the, the, the stage, and let's talk about that. Uh, Partly because I think you're going to get a lot of good information on how to deal with anger and, and how to wrestle through that, but also because I think it's really good for when it, take every opportunity you can to model what team leadership would look like and, and how it's okay to have disagreements on things and to banter back and forth. So I'm not sure exactly where this is going to go, but what we've done is I've, I've invited three folks to join me up here. Um, if we can zoom out a little bit here. We have Lambers Fisher here. Uh, give him a warm Wilden Hills welcome. Love this guy. He's been on stage with us before. He uh, is a, uh, a counselor at... Christian Hearts Counseling Center in Stillwater. Right. All right. yeah. If you need some counseling help, here's the guy to go see. Uh, Kevin is with us, Kevin Callaghan. You all know him. He's the uh, person who heads up SOMA, that incredible uh, Bible institute that we're kind of founding here. And then we have Oshita Moore, and I want to embarrass her for a moment, if I may. Um, I just finished her book uh, called Dear Peace, uh, 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 White Peacemakers. Is that right? Dear, Pe White. Dear White Peacemakers. Yeah, you're right. And I want to tell you guys, um, I've read quite a few books on reconciliation, and this book's, and not just blown smoke, this book is distinctive in its tone. Uh, Oshida, it's the most distinctive kingdom book on reconciliation I've ever read. You capture the heart of, what I just said about how we're supposed to engage these things, uh, that book embodies it. Uh, it's, uh, you, you don't pull any punches, you, you say it straight, but you say it in love, and it lands. And so I, I just think it's, uh, it'll be coming out May 18th, and I want to recommend everybody uh, gets that book. All right? There you go. And we, I'll get, what, 10% commission on that? Is that right? Okay, good. Yeah. We'll talk. <laughs> All right, okay. So we're going to have a little interview here. I'm just going to uh, dialogue with these folks. Let's start with you, Kevin. Uh, let's pick up where we left off last week uh, uh, with this phenomenon that we're seeing here, uh, this deluge of, of rage that seems to have gripped our country. Um, what are your thoughts about that? What observations do you have uh, on that? Anything to add? Yeah, thanks, Greg. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you, Greg, and just express my appreciation at um, how open you've been this past week uh, to in dialoguing with me and with others of us around this topic. Um, 
I really appreciated your message last week, but it did kind of bring up some things for me. And just this past week, you've been so open and willing to well, process with me and with Lambers and Oshita about that. And one of the things I love best about you is that you are a person who is a seeker of truth. And to do this publicly on stage, you're also very modeling humility. So I'm really blessed by that. It's part of my greatness is that I'm humble. So, you know. Okay, well, I guess you just spoiled that. But um, well, Thanks, Kevin. Speaking appreciate of self-righteous indignation. but All right, so, yeah, you asked about responding to that. So I totally agree with the idea that our culture has slipped into, I would say slipped back into or spiraling back down into just a really ugly period of division, anger, um, mutual contempt. And I love how you've kind of languaged, especially today I've heard you using the phrase self-righteous indignation as opposed to righteous indignation. And I would actually like to differentiate these two things. So I think uh, righteous indignation, I'm going to talk about that for a little bit, I think is actually a really good, loving, necessary biblical concept. What's wrong is self-righteous, self-righteous condescension. And I think there's a ton of that going on. Uh, it's, it's been normalized, as you said, in our culture. What I would say is cultures, the job of culture is to normalize things. So cultures are made up of uh, neutral things, necessary things, beautiful, life-giving things, and fallen human things. But that, that whole set of things, cultures are supposed to normalize that among their people. And so it's not surprising to me that our fallen American culture has normalized some fallen uh, human things. What's disappointing and surprising to me, maybe not as surprising as disappointing, is that the church yes. has gone right along with the culture. And we have normalized this self-righteous condescension that is, is angry, it's bitter, it's contemptful, it's disrespect, disrespectful. But to me, righteous indignation, if we look at those two words, Righteousness in the Bible is a beautiful thing. Self-righteousness is always an ugly thing. Righteousness is a beautiful thing. It's not about expressing or exercising rightness over other people, my status over you. It's about setting wrongness right. And indignation is just a word for anger. It's an emotion word. And at the root of that word is the word dignity. And so indignation is what God feels when somebody's dignity is violated or threatened or put down in some way. And so I think what God feels when there's indignation or when there's injustice or oppression, if somebody's uh, dignity is violated, he feels indignation. But his desire then is not to crush the, one, the wrongdoer. His desire then is to set that right, to free the wrongdoer from undignifying behavior and to protect the victim from being indignified, undignified. So I feel our calling then is to be that. But the church has done anything but that in the midst of this political um, social debate. But I think you, you, you and I were both uh, grew up in the 60s, and I remember very well the Vietnam War and all the angry, very violent division and vitriol. Hell no, we won't on. go. Yeah, no. people killed, people angry, political division. And so I would say this, what we're experiencing now isn't new. It's very historical throughout all cultures. But the church being kind of divided and pulled into the sewer, I guess, of this is really disturbing. And I think that's where we need to understand you know what really is righteous indignation it's the response to indignifying treatment and it's the setting right of that and i think mm. the church is called to set the example for that and we haven't done that we've fallen short of that mm. good you almost want to add anything to that yeah i can add something to that uh practically speaking um, there's a difference between uh, indignation, something being wrong that we're trying to uh, help protect other people about, um, versus any difference being a problem altogether. Uh, and I think that's what we've gotten out of practice mm. doing. It's almost like, well, in order to protect ourselves from things that are wrong, we fall into this trap of anything that's different is wrong. And we haven't yeah. learned how to practice seeing differences and embracing them. We haven't learned how to practice seeing inconvenience. That's different. The way you do things is different than the way I do things, and it's kind of inconvenient that I have to learn how to do things differently and learn how to accept your difference around me. But there's nothing wrong with that. There's certain things that are preferences. There's certain things that are part of my normal, that are part of uh, what's comfortable for me. And even if it's belief differences, some belief differences don't have to be differences in our ability to relate to each other as, and respect each other with dignity. But we haven't really practiced that. And a lot of times, especially, uh, you could say for the past four years, for the past uh, many years, uh, we've gotten out of that habit of learning how to see differences and being okay with them, being uh, appreciating different perspectives that give us uh, experiences that we've never had. 
bad. And if we learn to appreciate differences, then we're less likely to be inconvenienced by them and mm. thus less likely to fall down that spiral of viewing any inconvenience, any difference as an offense. And then we just go on this defensive battle back, back and forth. But if we practice that offensively, like not uh, offended uh, offensively, but uh, on offense as opposed to defense, if we intentionally go out looking to be appreciating uh, of differences and being convenienced by differences, then we can uh, relegate the ones that actually are sources of division mm. uh, that need to be addressed together as a team. I wonder if, if part of that is, you know, we, we're, the, the, America's so individualistic, we're used to getting it our way, and, and uh, uh, if that just hasn't become sort of like transformed somehow into this hypersensitivity where, you know, I, you read about uh, on some campuses, you know, if a person feels at all uncomfortable, if you're making me feel uncomfortable, well then, then you know, you're doing something wrong. And, and, but how do you educate without making someone uncomfortable? I mean, getting new ideas and exploring new ideas, it's, it's, it's really quite concerning. It's uh, it, almost like with this postmodernism, everyone's kind of sunken into their own little uh, hole of grievances. And anytime you, you know, if, now the littlest thing, uh, oh, you're offending me. So then you align with other people who are easily offended about that issue. And now then that gives them the whole cancel culture. Right. If you don't say this is right, we're going to cancel you off and, and whatnot. Oh, yeah, well, good. I appreciate that. Um, you, you, you've said before, Lambers, that, that you consider uh, all emotion to be legitimate. So it's not a question of whether the emotion of anger is legit or not. It's just a reality. But it's, it's what you do with that, uh, how you express that, how you handle that, that. That makes it either healthy or unhealthy, uh, you know, something that's appropriate for a Jesus follower or not. Um, can you flush out a little bit more, uh, like what, 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 what distinguishes a healthy uh, expression of anger from an unhealthy expression of anger? Sure. Uh, uh, just reminding ourselves that there's a legitimate function to all of our emotions is a good place to start. Mm. A lot of times, especially in church, uh, we focus on happy emotions, joy and, and love expressed in certain yeah, ways, yeah, yeah. but then it minimizes or at least has the tendency to minimize anything that seems bad or even sad. Sadness is, is something you should only have for a few seconds and then get right back to joy. Uh, and let alone anger is another difficult one because it seems like it's automatically against God's will, except right. there are certain circumstances that warranted that justify it. Uh, if you see something that is, is un, uh, unjust, uh, something that is not in line with God's will, it's quite appropriate to be angry, to feel something about that because the function of it, the function of right. it is not to characterize our whole personality, but to alert us. It's almost like you can view anger as an internal alert, a warning sign to an external threat. Right. Something is wrong here. My feeling is alerting me to something being wrong and it's hopefully compelling me, motivating me to do something about it. That dashboard light's going off. Exactly. Uh, and if it has that balance, then we can transition it to something healthy where how can I figure out if that feeling is healthy or not? Well, it's like, well, one, let's make sure it's temporary. Not focused on a certain amount of hours or days or a certain amount of time, but not characterizing our whole personality. We're supposed to be known for our love. So if you're known by why that person's so easily angered all the time, then we've skewed that ratio. Something's wrong. And so we keep it focused on the situation. Then as opposed to uh, our whole personality, then it's a good start. If we keep it focused on the situation as opposed to the person, which you've described perfectly, uh, it, it goes pretty good as well because it's not, well, if I get rid of that one person, the problem solved. No, there's, a, 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 there's often systems in place. There's often patterns in place. The function is to try to reduce the likelihood of future threats. I, I see something unjust, and I want to motivate myself to do something to reduce the likelihood of it happening in the future. And so if we focus on how can I love you but change the future. Love you, but protect myself and anybody I love, which is hopefully everybody in some capacity, from experiencing this again, then I can channel it that way. And that's where the, the last part comes in as far as motivating to change. If it's only a feeling, then nobody really benefits. If I see an injustice and say, wow, I not only feel sad about it, I feel angry. Why isn't anybody doing anything about this? Conversation over. Then it hasn't served its function. I it should compel me to do something about it. What? Well, again, that's a different challenge. But to compel me to try to figure out what I can do. So if it's compelling me to action, compelling me to change uh, a situation so that other people can experience God's love in a healthier way relationally, then it served its function. It's no longer needed because it changed the situation that was unjust. Good. Uh, let me just interject this. So I, I titled last week's message, uh, Say Farewell to Anger. And this one we're entitling, I'm entitling this discussion, Say Hello to Anger. Yeah. 
because what all three of these folks had as part of a pushback was that if you just say that you know, you're supposed to put off anger, don't, go to, don't let the sun go down on your anger, and you identify that as sin, well then that would, if that's all you say, well then that could encourage people to like sweep it under a rug. And all these folks are saying, no, we've got, you got to deal with it. You can't just put it aside. Or rather, the way to put it aside is to deal with it. You got to go through it. You can't just, and you're right, there is in Christian culture, uh, that is always a temptation. Uh, we take the fruit of the Spirit and turn it into oughts, you know, uh, love, joy, peace, patience. Well, you ought to do that. And if people get that message, well, then you just try to suppress everything that's not love, joy, peace, patience, you know. And, and so, yeah, so that's a very good, healthy uh, kind of pushback. Kevin. Yeah, I'd like to just piggyback on that. Um, I like the analogy of the, the dashboard light. So think about emotions that way. If your oil light comes on in your car, what's the worst thing you could do? It would be to ignore it. Um, if you, in fact, are low on oil and you ignore that oil light, you're going to damage your car engine. It'll take some time, but you're allowing that light to stay on and you're not, do, you're not recognizing it and doing something about it. But the purpose of the light is to come on and then to go off. How does it go off? Well, you see that it's an oil light. You say, well, I better check the oil. If, in fact, the oil's low, you put oil in, that light will go off. And emotions will resolve when we appropriately respond to them that way. I think, uh, Lambers, you said very well the idea of this ongoing, and Greg, you used the word harboring emotion. I think the problem is when emotions, emotions are like a noun. So a dashboard light isn't an action, it's a thing. Um, when, an, when an emotion as a noun becomes a verb, that's the problem there. Mm. So Jesus, um, New Testament shows examples where Jesus it uses the word orge of Jesus, which is just the simple noun form of anger. Jesus has orge, but in Matthew 5.22, as you pointed out, Greg, he says there that if anyone is angry at your brother, well, he's not using the noun form, he's using the verb form, it's orgizo. And literally, if, in English, it should be saying, well, if, if you are angering towards your brother, so now you're allowing anger to become a verb. You're harboring it and you're ruminating it and you're recycling it. And so when Paul says, be angry but do not sin, my belief there, he says, be orge, but don't let this noun turn into a verb. Don't let the noun of anger become this active ruminating that then will come out in actions that are destructive. Just like if you leave your oil light on and never check it, you're going to have problems. And so... Can you hold up for one, one second? I, 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 I want to go a little. I never heard you say that before. You have it, anger as a noun, but don't let it become a verb. Yeah. How do you have it as a noun without it becoming yeah. a verb? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to say more about that. So to me, emotion is it's an unconscious alert, like Lambert said. So there's, it's, a, it's an appraisal going on in my neural circuitry about a situation in my life. It may be accurate, it may be inaccurate. But it's a thing. It's not yet an action. There's a, it's, it's an appraisal that happens and then a feeling results. So the feeling of the emotion is a noun. It's not a verb. I, I haven't done anything. So emotion is happening within me. It's a noun. The feeling is a noun. Anger, fear, sadness, joy. There's this noun happening and it's supposed to tell me something and take a look at that and then form wise, loving you know, pro proactive, uh, intentional action. And so to me, that's the action then that comes from any emotion. We oftentimes think that the, uh, the emotion is the action, but it's not. Um, uh, emotion is supposed to motivate action, inform me about a situation, okay. motivate an action. And now oftentimes our, we misuse all of our emotions, right? We've never been trained, emotional intelligence, um, we can have false alarms. We can misinterpret those subconscious appraisals that activate the feeling. They can be way off sometimes. And so we should be taking time to notice the feeling and then check it out, uh, evaluate it to find out is this accurate or not, okay. and then take an action that actually does help the situation. But the noun is not the verb. So anger... It sounds like, are you getting at with that distinction, noun and verb, kind of what I was saying last week about how we are presented with this, that's, that's natural, you know, something you value gets devalued, so you have a feeling yeah. of anger. But there I said, we don't partner with it. We're not going exactly. like to latch onto it and say, yeah. okay, this is going to be my motivation now. Right. Uh, you deal with it to work through it and then release it. Yeah, so the okay. feeling doesn't it let yet tell me what to do or how to do it. Right? So if I'm, I'm feeling indignation, it's, it's a God-given ability to feel what he feels when somebody's treated with indignity. 
So I'm able to feel some of what he feels, but that feeling doesn't yet tell me what to do or how to do it. That's where our flesh and our culture comes in. When I'm feeling this feeling, I should get big and violent or powerful. Well, that's not anger itself. That's a response to anger. Anger is the signal that's telling me uh, indignity. Now I need to say, well, what's the Jesus thing to do? What is there a wrong? What is the wrong? What is the right way to set the wrong right? And, and the, the end must be in the means. Um, and so we yep. have to, if we're going to set some wrong right, we have to do it rightly. And so that's where wisdom comes into play and love. It has to be guided by Good. love. So, Washita, you wanted to add? Yes. Um, I really am grateful that this sermon is called Say Hello to Anger because I think that one of the things that we have to be, I guess, comfortable with is being curious about our anger. Um, and so I've been thinking a lot about this conversation just in the context of my life. So I'm a teacher, so I'm taking what I'm experiencing. And my son was just diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And mm. when he, the first night he was on this like insulin treatment where they had to wake him up every hour. And so his numbers were really like really scary. Um, and one, like one time in the middle of the night, one of the nurses came in and she checked my son and his, his numbers were really off. And I was like, is that good or bad? And she was like, what I want you to start thinking about mom is that these numbers are is just information. It's telling us mm. what's going on inside your son's body. And then based on that information, now we're going to respond to it in a different wow. way. Mm -hmm. so and good. I think that one of the things that gives us, one of the reasons I think that we can build a kingdom approach to anger based on love is that if it is we because we know that our end goal is love now we have the capacity or the ability to be curious about our mm. anger so like our anger so comes good. up and we're not all automatically afraid of it saying like no 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 i can't have anger but our anger comes up and says oh i can deal with this because i know like my one goal is to figure out how to be loving as i work through this anger and there are lots of ways that we can sort of figure out, okay, this is my anger. And I think Kevin had something really interesting to say in our conversation about different, like, different degrees of anger, different mm -hmm. types of anger. But like, this is my anger and I want to be curious about it. So it's information. It's telling me something happened that violates a core value or yep. violates my dignity. Or, and, and so now I want to be able to like, kind of step back and look at it and not overly identify with it, which is what I hear you saying when you say like partner with it. Mm -hmm. So what if we started thinking about our angry responses as information so of like, Oh, something's going on, and yeah. I need to be curious. Excellent. And I need to work through that. So good. Good. So good. It might be that, that what you have to look at is not very pleasant. I mean, it, it mm -hmm. could be the thing that, the reason why your anger could be good or bad, I mean, maybe you, have, uh, you overvalue. If you, if you have a complete meltdown and get suicidal because someone scratched your car, maybe your car is a little bit too important to you. you know? right. But, but, but do we investigate? What, what is that about? And be willing to look at whatever you find there. Right, it was that one size fits all kind of desire that we all want to say like, oh, I'm angry, so this is the one way that I deal with it. It actually puts us in a position of humility and having to listen to the Holy so Spirit good. and having to be in community good. with each other. Yeah, it's really good. I, 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 so Kevin, would you say more about this whole idea of, I mean, one of the things that we're dealing with that was really helpful for me this week as we were discussing this thing is just how, you know, we have this word anger and, and, and it covers so much territory. You know, I, I mean, it's, uh, I, I think we maybe need to get more refined on, on that. It's like the Eskimos, I've told some Eskimo tribes have seven different words for uh, snow. snow. Yeah, and and we, we just have snow, but they have. And, and so it, it, we need to get a little more fine-grained on this. But uh, you, you've talked before about this kind of calibrating your emotions and, and what's appropriate, what's not. Could you say more about that? Yeah, I, I like to think of emotions, um, a good analogy is like color. So... The color blue is a category of multiple colors. In reality, it's not just one. So if you think of blue, you can have lighter or darker shades of blue. And we have different words for all of those. And I don't really even know what those words are. Some interior designers could tell you all the different fancy words for blue. But uh, um, <laughs> blue is a category, and, within, and even light wave-wise, it's a different frequencies and different light waves of that same blue category of light. And I think emotion works that same way. The field of emotional intelligence is all about, you know, you've seen those posters with the emoticons and all the different faces. We think those are for kids, but they're actually for us as adults to start to understand the different gradations of emotion so that we can put different words to them and understand, well, I'm feeling this category. I've got a feeling happening. What is this category? Well, it's fear. Well, but there's lots of kinds of fear. Fear can go from a zero to a 10. Or a fear at one might be I'm 
I'm, I'm worried. A fear at a 10 on the one to 10 scale might be I'm horrified. Um, and then there's any number of words or levels or shades in between. Same thing with anger. And so anger, the, the word sometimes trips people up because sometimes we think that word anger just means rage. And for some people, that's probably your interior meaning for it. And if that's, if that's the only meaning for anger, then I would say you're right if you say that anger should always be avoided. We should never have that. But for me, the term anger or the term fear or the term sadness, those are just nameplates for a category like blue, red, orange, yellow. And now I need to nuance that and figure out, well, what's the, what's the intensity level? What's the situation? Um, is this the right emotion at the right level at the right time? And then it needs to inform me to make the right response. And so zero to 10 is a really helpful way for me to understand that. We help counseling, Lambers, you could say this as well. We help clients to understand, not to be afraid, but to be curious. I love how you use the word curious, Oshida. It's listening to, paying attention to, understanding, and then wisely responding. But getting the nuance is so important. And when, 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 one of the things that impressed me uh, going into last week's message was just, you've got, I, I think it's six different lists of things that we're, we're to put off. And, and uh, anger is always there. Uh, what would you think, like in, in your view, is that an intensity thing? Like, are they all of those passages? Are they all assuming that the person is out of control? Anger, or what we might call rage, uh, or how do you hear? It? Yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to go that way because again, there's passages that say that Jesus experiences orge, which is just the basic word for anger, and Paul says, "Be angry, but do not para orge. Um, do not let your anger simmer and grow into this morph thing." But in those lists, it's interesting for me to see. Well. Those lists say in Colossians and Ephesians, Paul says, put these things off, anger, wrath. Well, aren't those the same thing? Now we're talking about yeah. something that's in the same category. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. And malice and slander aren't emotions, they're actions. Anger and wrath, in my opinion, are intensities of, of, of a certain emotion that has a functional, a positive necessary function for us, mm -hmm. but we aren't to allow the feeling to dictate what we do or say. Okay. So to me, when Paul says, put this all aside, it's not getting rid of lobotomizing, if you will, our ability to feel a God-given emotion. We need fear. We need, if you have no fear, you will do crazy stuff. <laughs> People will get hurt. If you have no anger, you'll be passive when you should be active. So um, it's not about getting rid of the basic capacity for a feeling. It's about not letting the feeling tell me what to do. Well, there's a saying that says emotions are uh, great servants but terrible masters. Um, they shouldn't be running our lives. We should be guiding them. So. Mm, okay. Now, members. One of the other things I think about when I'm reminded of that put off anger. I view the function of anger at times is to protect ourselves from potential threats. And so if I think of protecting myself like, like armor, uh, put, protecting myself and someone else from uh, a threat, then at some point in time, we have to take off that armor. When we let it stay longer than necessary, as if we just have to, you know, hey, hey, you, you're welcome inside, the, the threat's over, put it off. It's like, no, no, I have to keep this. This is who I am mm. now. This is, mm. There's always gonna be a wow. threat somewhere. I have to, it's like, no, no, there's a time to, put off that anger. Even if it's not an uncontrollable rage, there's a time to put it down and say, there'll be a time to pick it up again. But for right now, let's focus on expressing love in a different way. Let's focus on interacting healthily. But there's a time to put it off without it necessarily being, how dare you have had it in the first mm -hmm. place. Wow. I just got, got a picture of uh, the armor. It serves a necessary purpose. There's a time you have to you know, guard your loved ones and whatever. But if you go to bed with it, if you make it part of your identity, if that it becomes a prison. Yeah. Now you're locked in it. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, that's not how we were supposed to live. That's good. Um, okay, so we're talking about uh, uh, what's appropriate, inappropriate, ways of dealing with anger and, and all of that. Uh, Oshida, uh, do you think uh, that it, I don't know, as you think about anger, what's appropriate, what's not, are there different standards for men and women? Does it make a difference whether you're white or black or for the other person of color, brown? Um, are those... Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I don't think that there's a different standard. So the standard is dignifying. The standard is love. The standard is, like, I don't think there's a different standard. What I think is a different perception of, of anger. And I think there are different, um, 
I think there's a, I think there's a dismissal of anger when it comes from a, a certain a certain person or a certain a certain community. So like I can be I am a woman and I'm a black woman. So I live in this like intersectional space of like I have to be super, super careful the way that I communicate because I can be really direct and it can sound like I'm like wrathful and, and like angry black woman and like off the hinges because that other person has biases. And so I do think that there is, so I think this is why, you know, this conversation feels like there's so many layers and nuances mm -hmm. because when we talk about anger, it's like the box like Kevin is talking about, but then there's also like the perception of the other person and the biases that they have and the expectations in our culture. And so I do think that, you know, there isn't a different standard. I think the ends must be within the means, especially for kingdom people. Yes. Like we should, we should be curious about our anger and say, Something that reveals something about what's going on in me, that reveals something about what I believed about that person, that reveals something about what I believe about God. Mm -hmm. So how do I kind of work through this? What are some healthy ways, and we can talk about that, what are some healthy ways to work through this? And then how do I end up still living in a reconciled, loving relationship with this person? But that gets difficult when we live in this culture that has all of these different narratives about different groups of people. Yeah. Which is why when, when we were talking about George Floyd a year ago, we were talking about the protests, like, you know, one of the things that I said from the stage was that, you know, we have to pay attention to the pain because oftentimes that anger, um, as perceived by other people, think they're that people are just being destructive, violent, unhelpful. And it's really actually like, well, wow, let's like take, let's look at this community for whom their anger has always been misconstrued and there's always been bias around it. Mm. And let's look at that and say, okay, there's anger, but that's actually probably speaking to some deep, ignored, unresolved right, right. pain. Yes. And so I think, yeah, the, the standard isn't different, but what we as like nimble, thoughtful kingdom people is we need to recognize that we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God in this culture and there's all these different layers. Mm. Mm. I, I could see how, you know, say farewell to anger, uh, how that could be uh, very concerning uh, to like, if, if, you're, if you come at this issue from a social justice perspective, because uh, there's a whole long history of white folks saying, stop being angry. Right. <laughs> you're causing disorder while you're destroying our property. And I'm not at all condoning that, right. but there's yeah. a long history of that and not dealing with the, the underlying issue. Yeah. You, know, you got to say hello to anger before you can say farewell to it. And uh, we haven't even said really hello to it as a culture. So like, what is the real issue here? What, 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 what is, yeah. you know, causing this? Well, actually, we know the issues. We just haven't dealt with it. Yeah. It's uh, white supremacy. L Lambert's. One of the things is I listened to uh, the combination between what Kevin was talking about, that kind of scale of what uncontrollable anger versus healthily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, appropriate for the situation. And what Sheeta was talking about is I, I get this picture of two people coming at a a experience of what is unjust, it shouldn't happen, but they're coming at it from a different perspective. If one person comes at it from a, this is the first time I've ever seen that, first time I've ever heard that, it's not part of my daily experience, wow, then they might assume that, okay, that, that's a new, uh, rare, uh, that, that, uh, that's worth of about a two, maybe about a three, and for somebody else, who that's the 50th time they've experienced it, mm. that maybe personally, maybe uh, witnessed, and it's, the, and, and it's, no, that, that warrants how many times do I have to, experience this and, and the first person will say whoa whoa that's a little bit too much mm. uh, it hasn't justified that and then that's where we go to trying to tell other people how to feel before we've listened to why they feel that way good. they're seeing the same things but from a different perspective and if we take the time to listen and learn then it might say well i don't feel that same way but i now have a better understanding of why you do right we, right, we still right. have to figure out a, a, a way to healthily express that and mutually coming together to solve that but we can stop judging the feeling at the beginning that's that so good um yeah it, it just goes to that uh for the person who's just discovering it, it's like okay there's a few bad cops but there's nothing systemic going on here it's like well if you've lived in this live in the skin for a while maybe you'll have a different view of it it's exactly. okay and that goes to where how important it is that we are listening to each other from coming from the different perspectives instead of being disturbed because something is is different than us and exactly. inconvenient for us or uncomfortable for us um Okay, so Oshida, I, 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 I'd like to come back to your thing about working through this. Uh, how do you work through this anger? Uh, so I had, this is a couple of months ago, got an email from somebody who, uh, it was a woman who, it was dealing just with this. She, she knows that she was 
consumed with anger. The quality of her life has suffered. Uh, she married a person who ended up being emotionally abusive to her and her children. That's had long-going effects. Then he ends up uh, leaving the family, leaving them destitute, runs away with some other woman. And she's been so consumed with anger and bitterness. Uh, and she was asking, how do I get... I, I don't want to live my life this way, but I don't know how to do anything different. Mm -hmm. um, uh, would you have any words of advice there, like any practices she could begin to engage in to, to get out of the clutches of this destructive rage? Well, I am of the mind that, so it sounds like she's in crisis mode. It sounds like she's in the thick of it. Well, it, it she said that this happened two years ago, and so she's still... She's still holding on to it. Yeah. I'm of the mind that when she, like for somebody like her who's in the thick of it, that the primary way of working through your anger is to not do it alone. Hmm. Um, so like for me, when... I, I have three phases of kind of just being curious about anger and my middle phase is always working through it with a trusted pastor or a counselor or a friend um, so that I can get it out of my system and process it and talk about it with somebody who I know loves me, but who's also going to hold me accountable and say like, what we're not going to do here is we're not going to stay in this cycle. So I, if, so my, like if she sent me that email, I would, I would come back to her and ask, like, who are the people that she can talk to? Does she want to enter into sort of a dialogue with me? Who can I, you know, who can I introduce her to to talk about that? Because I think that there's, for me, again, it's like, here's anger's presenting itself. There's things below the things. And for with her, and I, I really want to hear you guys, but like for her in her situation, there's a lot of things that have contributed to that that I feel like might need to be addressed too. But I think for like a general kind of, rule of thumb for me when I think about my engagement with anger is I do have three phases. So the first one is that curiosity piece of like, what does anger look like and feel like for me? Where am I on the scale of anger on different things? And kind of, and being, and being aware of like, okay, like with my son, it's information. So I know that, I, that I, when I'm really hot, I present as angry, but I'm actually like uncomfortable. So like there's something really simple I can do. And it can feel the same like anger that when I, when I saw something like a Maud Arbery, like that like bigness inside of me can feel the same, but those are two different types of anger, mm -hmm. right? And so that's the first one is, is like doing that work. It, uh, if I know that I'm angry at somebody or angry at a certain group of people, that first phase also includes humanizing, doing the work of remembering that they are beloved children mm -hmm. of God, um, because that takes the self-righteousness out of it and, and, and makes space for the Holy Spirit to show me what righteous indignation looks like in that. So like I've told this story before, but like, you know, when I, like when I have been paying more attention to sort of leaders who are speaking about or who are promoting racist ideas. I don't call white people racist, but racist ideas. I will like look at pictures of them as children. I will like look mm. at pictures of them with their families. Like I will do that kind of work of remembering that they are human so that when they come back on my screen and they say that thing that's going to make me angry, I remember the ends are within the means. Like I want to, I want to, uh, I want to resist the thing that they're saying, but not turn that the forcefulness towards them, either in tweet or things that I write or anything like that. So that's that first phase. The second phase is having community and people who, who it's okay to talk about anger, who's not going to shame me for feeling anger, mm -hmm. and who will help me understand sort of the, the, the various degrees of anger that I have, and then will hold me accountable mm -hmm. to not turn my anger, my anger towards human beings, but turn it towards systems or ideas and things like That's that. Good. And then the last phase is really like, for me, that last phase is I have like, I do journaling. I kind of give myself like when I feel like I have a, like I have like strategies. When I feel this again, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do so that it kind of shortens that first phase of like, I'm in the middle of it and I'm trying to figure it out. So that, that's kind of what I, that's what, how I wow. try to be a peacemaker when I deal with my anger, because I think of anger like, as like fire. It can be really, really helpful, but it can be really, really destructive too. Oh. So if you're struggling with anger, I encourage you to rewind the thing, rewind about four minutes and take notes and, and go over that again, because yeah. that, that's some good stuff there. I, 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 you do that so beautifully yes. in uh, uh, your book. Um, but just the, you, you come at this with, uh, say, I, I don't call you racist. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, I, you're probably going to get flack for that from, from some people. But you say, I call you beloved. And you start with that. That's good. And let's build from there. And it's, so uh, it just completely, instead of being adversarial, you, you, you turn this into a collegial thing. Let, let's together work on this. And that's just uh, beautiful. I, I've always encouraged people to have this as a regular discipline in their life. 
uh, it's been a lifesaver for me, but where I, pick out the people that are the hardest, uh, that I have the hardest time loving, yeah. uh, that I have trouble not hating. Uh, and, and I have to pray for them. And I always have at least three people, and sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, but, but that I am intentionally praying for. And I find that, it, 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 at least in cases where it's personal, where I'm personally being uh, you know, attacked by a person, that, that it, it starts as an act of obedience. Okay, I'm supposed to do this. Mm. Um, and I do it, grinding my teeth. I, I agree with you, God, they have unsurpassable worship. So it starts as, as just obedient. But in time, God begins to give me God's heart for this person. And sometimes it involves imagining a prequel, uh, you know, what led to this person being this way. But it, it evokes compassion rather than this rage. And... Um, um, so is that the kind of thing you're getting at when you say you think, look at photos and stuff to humanize them? Right, because I, I, I don't believe that humans are our enemy. So what I, what I, when I think of a, a person, I say they're just beyond my empathy. So my job is to somehow access empathy for them because humans are never our enemy. We have an enemy and there are systems that support the, the, the work of that enemy. But people are, are human beings who are trapped, who are right. influenced by those systems. So my job is to do what I can do in that phase three to access empathy. That's good. Anyone else want to end that at all? I love the point that she made, Oshida, about um, rehumanizing instead of dehumanizing people. We tend to demonize people and make them evil rather than separating the person from the behavior and saying, well, this person is doing something that's really wrong. It's really bad. Like you talk about not calling them a racist, but they might be speaking and acting in racism. Um, but their essence isn't racist. They're a human being. They're beloved. And I love that, um, the separating the human, the person from behavior. So, and seeing that the person is always deeper, more, more than the behavior. And Jesus, we see Jesus doing this all the time in the Gospels. He doesn't treat people according to behavior. He addresses behavior, but he dignifies the person. And I think that's just so important for us to learn. Kind of deepens, the, deepens that whole, it can be a cliche, but it, it, you're saying it's a, a profound truth that you love the sinner, uh, yeah. but hate the sin. Yeah. You distinguish those two things, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what God is, not that exactly what God is? There's no other way to ascribe unsurpassable worth to somebody right. unless you make that distinction, because yeah. Uh, no one's behavior is uns has unsurpassable worth. Oh. We always, we act below our yeah. status, but we're followers of Jesus supposed to affirm that worth uh, despite the behavior. And no one's but behavior determines their worth. Yeah. Right. I that's think that's the, that's the difference between humans. We, we gauge a person's value based on their behavior, but that's not what their worth is never based on their behavior. And, that, and God proves, us, proves yep. that to us. While we're sinners, he dies for us. So. Right. Well, I was Good. just going to say, isn't Good. that the nature of grace? You yeah. Know? Like, isn't that what grace is? Yeah. It's acknowledging the value and the dignity of the person, yeah. um, even when they make mistakes, even when they do, when yes. they have bad behavior. Um, yeah. And I think we, I think we often, I think in the church, one of the things that I'm noticing you're concerned about is that we have married self-righteousness. Um, like we have, we've become partners with self-righteousness. And so we, we have conflated or we have, we have assumed that people are their behavior. And so mm. we, we, we have like a really honest like anger about something. I'm talking about like, you know, we're really angry about racial injustice. And yet, and so we turn and look at our evangelical brothers who are ancestors who are still caught up in, in churches that are turning a blind eye to issues of systemic racism. And we say they don't care about the gospel or they, we say they don't love Jesus. Or, and we conflate like that behavior of like, yeah. ignoring a real pain with um, that person's essence, their, their dignity. And I think that's what you are, if I'm understanding you right, what you were trying to tackle in your last sermon was sort of like separating those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really want, I, I, the, uh, the takeaway from this, I, I would like to have, for myself even, just a clear understanding of, of uh, what I need to be adamantly against. Uh, it, it's, it's when I, because I, I, I've been on a, on a journey to purge all violence out of my life for 15, 20 years, and with that all judgment, but I had not adequately, I've discovered, and this is what led to the message last week, I've, I've given myself permission to be angry, um, at least more so than I, I, I need to. I, 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 I harbor it. And, it's, and that's part of the normalization. Oh, this is not a big thing. This is not, maybe it's not perfect, but it's not a big, I gave myself a pass. 
And uh, then reading Jesus, uh, it, that passage just hit me between the eyes. You take this as serious as murder. You know, you, you, you do not let pollution in. And so to, to uh, I like that definitive, okay, I'm against this. When I name it that as sin, then I, then I take it seriously. That, that to me is, the, it wasn't about dismissing it, it's about taking it seriously. Um, but now with all this nuance, okay, though there's an appropriate way of anger, that, I don't want that, the nuance, to compromise my stance against this. And I think we're hitting that pretty, pretty well. Uh, to be really against the, the destructive kind of anger, that looking down, that insulting, all that, definitively purging that out while not sweeping anything under the rug, dealing with it honestly. Why is it there? What's the warning light? What is off wrong here? What, is, what situation am I supposed to be uh, yeah. uh, confronting here? You should have indignation towards and against indignity. Yeah. Um, so but, don't, don't lose your indignation towards indignity. But not necessarily sense. against towards those who are... It's towards the indignity, not the indignifier, right? So indignifier. It's, it's against is that what the thing, called? the behavior, not the person. That's good. So, because that's the thing that God's angry about. Um, he's angry against sin, not sinners. He's angry against injustice, not the person that does injustice. Okay, so Lambers earlier was saying that uh, one of the functions of anger is protection. Uh, you're, you're threatened, you or loved ones, or somebody that you don't know, but you still are called to love, and they're threatened by this. And so that, that's an, it's part of that fight or flight reflex, except that we're not allowed to fight people. Uh, we're not, we're, Jesus forbids us to engage in violence. Mm -hmm. So if you are seeing, if we're saying that you can't like just get up there and clobber them on the head and kill them or whatever to protect somebody or to protect yourself, then what are we saying? Uh, how, what is a way of responding uh, to or interrupting uh, injustice towards you or towards others that doesn't involve uh, violence against them? Or, or harboring any insulting you fool moron in, in them. That is consistent with their uh, unsurpassable worth. I, I know that this week when we were talking, Lambers, you used the example of the martial arts that you've been trained in. I think that's a really great example of this. You were not, violence to me is causing physical or emotional harm. You're intentionally trying to harm, but there's, there's physicality that can be used or even intensity of um, your words that can be used that isn't harm, it's not harmful. And you, you want to tell that story about your... Well, it, it's, it's common for people who know me. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if you can see uh, up here on stage, but I'm not a big guy, and so I'm not going to be starting any fights anytime soon. Um, but uh, I always had this picture in my head if somebody, you know, came up and, and was physically aggressive, you know, hit my wife or something like that, I think anger is appropriate in that moment. Uh, so I just say, hey, well, you know, you got, you got to feel better, wife, or hey, you just, just stop doing that. Sometimes it may call for a crisis situation, get in between, and to feel uh, like an injustice has happened. You have violated something that's very important to me and various things are important, but that's most important. And I may need to do something about it. But even if physical aggression, uh, physical act is warranted for me to get in between somebody trying to harm my wife, um, passivity is, is, not the, is not the option there. My goal is not to pummel the other person, make the person regret it uh, in their life to stop uh, them from ever doing anything ever in the, in the future, like from walking or breathing or living, as opposed to getting in the way and redirecting that elsewhere. Uh, and so uh, one of the things I, I like about having uh, studied martial arts for a while is the, the in, intentional efforts to try to redirect someone's aggression, to try to redirect their anger. Uh, and so they can come at me trying to hurt me or somebody I care about, and I don't necessarily have to hurt them back, hurt them more so, as opposed to redirect their energy elsewhere. I want to be able to have them coming at me, and then they look up and they're on the floor, me saying, are you done now? Right, have, you, have you got that out of the system? They get up and try to do it again, and find themselves on the floor and say, are you done now? My goal is not to uh, come at, at you harder, uh, uh, fight anger with more anger, fight uh, aggression with more aggression, but to focus on, I'm still trying to love you. Please help me still love you because it's getting kind of hard now. You can still keep coming against me and people I care about. And I think that's fair. If, we still, if, the, if, we, if we're oozing love, even if we have to physically get in the way, even if we have to that's inconvenience good. someone, that's where these uh, protests and riots, sometimes you have to inconvenience someone to get yeah. their attention, to yeah. show it's important. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to be a, offensive toward you. I'm trying to say this is important. Mm -hmm. And if we stay tethered toward love, if we stay tethered toward changing the situation, then yes, sometimes we can be active in how we do it, but we don't have to look any more aggressive in, in, in how we express it. Yeah. Was she there? 
Well, I just, I'm curious about, so in my Reconciling Love class, I had a whole class on lament and this practice of crying out to God and saying how much longer and acknowledging like this is wrong. And lament, I really think is, is one of the practices that we as a church, we're, we're, we don't practice enough. We don't engage with lament enough. And so to say, to, to, to not uh, express our anger as a community um, about things that happen feels like we're being tone deaf or we're being blind. Mm. But lament is one of the things that we are uniquely gifted with to get up and say, and I think you said this in your sermon last week, Greg, you're like, there's sorrow, there's pity, yeah, there's yeah, anguish. Yeah. Like you, and lament is one of those practices that kind of just wraps it all together and mm. say, you have an anger about something that happened. And so here is a nonviolent, God-inviting kingdom way of saying, this happened and this is how we feel about it. And this is what we're crying out to God about, we're inviting into. And we're saying like, this is wrong. And I think if we grew in our practices of lament, if we invited more of that into it, I think we would be a little less afraid of anger and more curious about like, okay, why is that community why is that community so angry about that pipeline? What is that? Like, why? Oh, so we lamented about it. Now let's have a conversation about it because we spoke to like the human deep need mm. of those people. Yeah, so good. Sheila. That's, that, that's so good. That, that's kind of what I was trying to, and here's where language is kind of tough because we use anger to cover everything. But uh, to get at that, and we covered this, where the, the, the situation, the circumstance breaks your heart. Uh, and yeah, you cry, and and there's a that grief. There is an anger there. I don't know what other word to call it, but it's like this must stop. This must stop. You know, this is wrong. Uh, but it's not directed towards the people. Right. It, it, it's it's, and this is where I, I think uh, Ephesians six uh, twelve comes in so beautifully. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Yeah. Um, and, and so to be resisting the systems the, the, and the powers that fuel these unjust systems and oppress people, but without falling into the temptation to zero it in on the person. So, and that is the struggle. That, that, therein is the struggle. And maybe that, that's the, the criteria. It's like when you are uh, feeling this anger or this rage towards somebody, you're looking down on them. There's, there's insult thinking going on. Mm. How do you, we've talked about how, how to preserve their unspeakable worth Imagine a prequel, try, ask God to give you the, the, God, God's picture of them and the, his feelings towards them. And then, so then let, let that go and then leave all of that to God. Okay, if, if God's got to punish anybody, then he'll take care of that. Our job is to affirm their worth, but then still to rage about the system that is not only oppressing others, but it's oppressing this person. Yes. Because they're also in bondage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's good, that's good. Very good. Uh, we're, 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 we're coming to the end here. Um, so, Ashita, would you like to just wrap it up and send us off? And or yeah, wrap it up we, and we, we got two off. minutes. Any other <laughs> comments? We got, we got two minutes left. Anyone want to say about this? I do yes. want to uh, at least uh, express this. One of the things that we need to do is resist the temptation to focus on extremes, either strongly embracing the self-shame of our own anger or strongly resisting anyone mm. else's anger. Yeah. Uh, but if we acknowledge that anger is a legitimate feeling, then we can get focused on how can we be a part of changing the circumstances that warrant it. And oftentimes it's like, well, that's not my problem. I didn't cause that. I'm not the source of your problem, so I'm on the outside. And if we get to the point where you say, well, you're not the source of the problem. But are you going to be a part of the solution? That's good. Are you going to find a way to join in? It may look different. You Boom. may not be on the street. You may not be uh, activists in the same kind of way. But even in your own dinner table, in your co coworkers' conversations, if you can be a part of changing yeah. Yeah. the conversations, then you can be a part of changing the system. So good. That help uh, bring about uh, less oppression, Love less it. injustice. And if you can find that way f to bring about that change in your own environment, then you're a part of the solution. Love Excellent. it. Kevin? Yeah, I just, I wanted to, one of the things you said, Lambers, was get, get in the way. Put yourself in the way. And I think, I see Jesus, ultimately, that's what Jesus is doing, right? There's a violently unjust world with lots of indignifying behavior. Jesus throws himself right in the middle and he's willing to die instead of com committing the same kind of violence. He tells us, turn the other cheek if you've been slapped on the cheek. He's got this amazing ability to use creative imagination to say, well, how can this indignity feeling I have, this indignation, be 
utilized in creative ways to get in the way, to not just create an, an ongoing cascade or domino effect of more and more violence, but to actually stop it and pause it and, and shock people. And I think Jesus does that. And, 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 and John Lewis talked about this good trouble. Let's do good trouble. There is a kind of good trouble. Let's get in the way. Um, and so it's not just this passive bystander, oh, I, I feel angry about this, and, I'm not, and, I'm, and, I'm, and those people are worth this, and that's why I'm feeling. No, we, it's supposed to motivate something, but let's be creative that's like good. Jesus was. Let's use imagination. Yeah, so yeah. between, you know, this is the trouble. When, when, when violence is an option for you, it's what we go to, first yeah. off. Yeah. Boom, go to violence. So easy. And we miss the million creative ways we yeah. could have, you know, all the other alternatives yeah. that, 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 that could have been used without, without engaging in violence. Well, I mean, in closing, I will just say, you know, I hold Jesus's example as he's being arrested. And Peter, I hold that with such high regard with how I engage with these uh, these uncomfortable emotions, especially anger. Peter, out of anger and love for Jesus, defended Jesus by cutting the ear off of one of those soldiers. But Jesus was like, that's not, we're not going to do that. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And then Jesus heals. And so, you know, I think that you know, Jesus didn't say, Peter, don't be angry. Don't love me so much that you would do this. P- Jesus said, with your anger, what we're not going to do okay. is be violent. Mm, and we're not, we're, we're going to find a way to be creative. And that's so great. I think that's that, great. you know, if God is a relational God, which we say all the time, and anger is, a, is, a, is one of these emotions that is deeply rooted in relationships, I think we cannot figure out our strategy to have this Christ-like response alone. Like we have to have community. We have to have therapists. Like we have to have those who will walk alongside us to help us understand our anger. Hey, before you close, you guys are a gift. I think I appreciate you so much being up here and being part of this and sharing your wisdom and and insights and stuff. And and, and, and that's what a a full orb approach to the gospel looks like. You know, it's relational. So I I just really appreciate it. And I want to do it again soon because we're going to be talking about things that I think you guys are good at talking about uh, (laughs) here. So give them a warm world of the hill welcome and a hello and thank you there can you hear that look at it thunderous all right okay well a few things friends as we close our time together i want to encourage you if anything that you heard on this stage you know um brought some emotions up in you or even brought like something that you would love prayer or or, uh, over we have people who are on standby who are ready to pray for you if there's a need going on in your life anything we have people who love you and who love the lord and believe that the lord is going to meet you in those in those spaces so prayer ministers are available right after the service. Um, you'll go to whchurch.org, Sunday-prayer, and they'll be there to pray for you. The other thing that I want to encourage you is that there are two spaces where you can kind of go deeper. Like really, if you really want to talk a little bit more about anger in relationship with others, the gathering groups is a great place to do that. Um, and then also Shauna and Dan and sometimes myself, we show up on um, Tuesdays for MuseCast and we, we go deeper. We dive deeper into um, what you heard here on the Sunday morning. It's a recap and discussion time and it sh- it's, uh, airs at 4 p.m. Um, and you'll go to whchurch.org slash highlights um, to participate in that. So as I close, I would love for us to receive this Franciscan benediction on anger, but I'm going to shift it. I'm going to change it around a little bit because we have a different orientation, a new orientation to anger. So receive this benediction. May God bless you with discomfort. Discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships. Discomfort so that you will live deep within your heart. May God show you your anger and give you a curiosity for your anger so that you may be angry at injustice, at dehumanization, at oppression and exploitation of people. So that you may be angry um, and use that anger for the good, for works of justice and freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears, tears to lament, tears to shed for those who suffer, pain for those who are in pain, those who are rejected, those who are starving, and those who are at war. Tears so that you will reach out and comfort them and turn their pain into joy. Mm. And may God bless you with foolishness, foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world, foolishness so that you will do what others claim cannot be done. May you go as a kingdom person. Amen. 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 Beautiful.